0: Hi, it's Wednesday afternoon, and I'm going to try to do the Haftarah today, Haftarah of this wonderful Parsha. Um, before I talk about it, uh, I, a number of people have been writing me, and my own team now have been bugging me. Instead of just, I should add one thing, no, it's not just do all these long talks that I give, I don't think they're long, but whatever, um, but these uh, five or ten minute um sound bites, history bites, past bites, cleobites, that's the right word, cleobites. Um I said, what am I want to talk about? I don't want to talk about something stupid. And he said, anything that's short. You know, a lot of the public has a short span. And I said, I don't know if it's for me, but whatever. Um and so they said anything you want to think about, just talk about and do it on the audio and on the video. So I'm gonna try tomorrow I'm gonna experiment with it. Let's put it that way. I'm experimenting with it. I have no idea what it's going to be about some little short business history, whatever. Um, so you can expect that uh, coming down the line. Actually, somebody called to sponsor it. Um, so we'll experiment with it. So, uh, you, you know, late tonight or tomorrow or something like that or Friday. Uh, I hope to... Talk about something maybe from American Jewish history. I'm not 100% sure, but uh, this will be an experiment. And now let's talk about today, which is being sponsored. Um, I'm happy that someone stepped forward. My good friend, the Pollocks in Columbus. Um, that's what we call a friend indeed. And it's very nice because uh, Paul Pollock, Paul and Kathy, Paul wrote, I would like you to be dedicated. Listen to this to the memory of my father, Shmuel Ben-Zachariah, and the commemoration of his 98th anniversary of Bar Mitzvah. So in other words, his dad had a Bar Mitzvah, I guess, in 1923. Woo! 1923. A different world. That's before World War II, obviously, and so forth. I mean, it's before the Depression. <laughs> uh, so in memory of his dad's Bar Mitzvah in 1923. Wow. Now listen to this. The only part, and I assume they were all Midwesterners. The only part of his Bar Mitzvah, Haftor, that he remembered, was the first Pusuk. I knew so many people like that, but I remember how we would enjoy singing it out when this week's reading would come close. So isn't that amazing how the mind works? You know, the snippets that stay with you and do not go away. You know, the first, the first Pasuk. In other words, this week's. Yeah, you know, if it's that one, you know, you remember the first business and then you remember the Hebrew teachers all pinching your ears when you got it wrong. <laughs> uh, but that's what he was always saying. It I've seen so many cases where somebody's little snippets of memory have a big influence on their children, their grandchildren. it's very funny. You know, you don't know what you do and a little tune you sing or a little habit you form and what an influence it has in terms of Judaism. Those who come after you, it's, it's it's quite remarkable. I think it's kind of cute. Um, <laughs> it reminds me of my Bar Mitzvah when I did Parshas Vayaka and when I was finished, I got off to Bimba in the old chill in Forest Park and the old guy, I won't say his name, he, as I walked by, he says, you and, dry and he, he told me in Yiddish, 36. He counted how many mistakes, mistakes I made. They didn't believe in... Uh, What's the right word? You know, positive reinforcement. What's the expression? You know, uh, self, uh, uh, meh, self-confidence. self uh, Anyway, and he concludes, I hope this donation will be z'chus for my father's neshama. I'll say it is. I'll say it is to have a son who a century later wants to dedicate a Dvar Torah to the commemoration of his father's bar mitzah. I would say that's as a z'chus. <laughs> uh, all right, so without any further ado, let's get into it. This is actually one of the, the last... Haftur is of the year, when the Hafturas reach their crescendo, because uh chapter sixteen and sixty-one of Isaiah. That's the only we here. When Yeshua goes wild over utopia. This week, next week we're dealing with utopia. What is the Jewish vision or a Jewish vision of the perfect world? That's a good question to ask. You know, I'm sure some people say yes, the perfect world is we get to kill all our enemies. Something like that. that's that's a Middle Eastern utopia. But what's a real utopia, you understand? Oh, we get to beat up everybody. We get to live the life of Riley. What's a real utopia? And um, for Yeshayahu, uh, it's very high, very idealistic, very lofty, very classy. It's a matter of ore, of light. But what does light mean? Obviously, it doesn't mean the physical light. It takes you back to the very beginning of mankind, of creation before mankind. Pretty soon it's going to be Chafe El. We're not quite there yet. In which you have Bracious Brahel Kim, he Or. And what kind of Or is it? Some say it was a kind of physical light. You know, you could say it that way. In Pashtas though, so the regular light comes later, you know. And the Or, when you work it through, as I've said more than once, is wisdom, intelligence. Get it? Even now in English, you say a light goes off in your mind. Because ignorance is equal to darkness because you can't see. And when I light a candle, all of a sudden you can see. So that's intelligence. A reason is a brain. That's how God created man. A guy could be standing in a giant room full of gold and silver and diamonds, but it's pitch black. So he has no idea where he's standing. And if nobody ever lights, he could walk out of that room and not realize he ever saw anything and never take anything from their room. On the other hand, if he has a little cigarette lighter or something like that, and he just lights a stupid little mesh, he said, wow, this place is worth of billions. I could walk out of here rich man. That's the general concept of light, which is why ore and fire play such a significant role in the base of in the mishkan, in the descriptions of the mishkan, in the book of Exodus, and so forth. Ore has always been, you know, associated with that. In Kabbalah also, ore represents certain... Spiritual essences, which are you know like light, they're not really light, you're not in other words, don't confuse it with the English word light, but I'm going to use that word anyway. They're like light in the sense that they're ethereal, they're good because they provide you know illumination, you can't quite put your hands on it. Uh, is you know, it's a good word to express high and lofty but very dainty and sensitive ideas. And the reason I'm saying it is because. When he's going wild. And I say again, this week's chapter, particularly, Isaiah goes wild in 60 and 61. Next week is 61. Kumiori kibore. Come, O light. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Kumiori. That's why the, the, uh, the poet took this into the Lechadodi uh, on Friday night. Isn't that right? Kumiori Come. And what he means like this. In Mashiach time, in Messianic era, when the wars are over, and this is over, and all the junk is passed, and mankind has made its last of its innumerable mistakes, then finally comes a happy ending. What will be the happy ending? People will see, what shall I say, the truth, the beauty of your ideas, of the Torah, basically. right? You can construct a society without using force. You can construct a whole civilization without one... Ad- exploiting the other right it can be done okay I would say even today it always strikes me we have it in front of us it could be done there's not I've said many times there's no reason today in August of 2021 in El of Tosh and Pe'alv, there's no reason that anybody in the world has to be hungry or barefoot or succumb to e- e- easy illnesses right there is enough food and clothing and medicine and so forth to take care of the whole human race. But you can't get rid of all the Meshagahs. A wants to kill B, B wants to destroy C. You know, take for example, there's just one of many examples, the Arab-Israeli conflict. They could have stopped this 60 years ago and everybody would have been living very well. It's a double you door. But the Arab said, no, I'd rather be poor and wipe out Israel. You, to, you, know, you understand? That's not called Or. That's their, their light. right? That's the light of the nations. Here, Yeshua says, <laughs> And God's glory will descend on you. Which means that that the, the God's glory, that's the real light. I repeat, I'm not using the physical word light over here, but you know what I mean. It will illuminate. Notice, they'll see the truth of Hashem. And then when he says, do this and that and the other, you'll construct a perfect society, you will. As I just said before, everybody intelligent knows the world could be a lot better right now than it is. If they would stop all the fighting and concentrate on conquering cancer and this and that and the other. Everybody knows that. But no one's willing to take the first step. And the her reigns supreme throughout the world. And Isaiah is the enemy of this. And he says, one day it won't be like that. And he says, Ki all the Goyim, all the nations are covered by Chay and Arafel, by darkness and thick dark clouds. <coughs> That's what I just said. Why don't they get rid of, of war? Why don't they get rid of famine? Why don't they get rid of disease? And so on and so forth. Why don't we do it? You understand? Uh, theoretically, any intelligent person, certainly any scientist, uh, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, whatever you want, Hindu, any scientist knows what the scientific possibilities are today. But India and Pakistan are not going to stop fighting. The Arabs and Israelis are not going to stop fighting. The Chinese and the Russians and Huna, whatever, you know, the Afghan, they're not going to stop fighting. So basically, it's the old model, I'd rather kill you even if it takes me down with it, then both of us should prosper. And and Yeshayo puts this in terms of light and dark. Right now, although it, the, the, the world is covered, the nation's are covered with sick darkness, and then a brilliant light will pierce the darkness. This is all a muscle for saying that one day, I don't know when, people wake up and say this, hey, Katz is right. Let's stop fighting. (laughs) Let's stop doing this to each other. You know, let's follow what it says in the Torah. It's not, you know, let, 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 let's uh you know beat the swords and the plowshares and all that business and and then we'll all be better off <laughs> we'll all be happier i I say again in theory but when i say theory technological theory it's possible you could have all the work done by robots they have all the people sitting and uh, engaging in higher pursuits or something like whatever you want um, I'm not talking about dumbing down the masses with bread and circuses and giving out 10 trillion virtual realities so people can walk out you know, high all day. I'm talking about really something real. Uh, but you don't see it now. But one day the, the attitudes will change and God will bring about that attitudinal change. The way the prophet describes it is, a a brilliant shaft of light will pierce the, sh- the thick clouds which cover the world and provide darkness. Isn't that a powerful metaphor? Very powerful metaphor. And he says, And nations will walk by your light. In other words, when that attitude is changed, then people will say, To claw you throw on the Torah and all the rest of it. Let's, we see now, it hasn't happened for thousands of years. But now we see your way is the right way. And kings, even the politicians, will get in the act. Right? So first, the politicians will have to turn everything into junk, as they've done. The Molochim have always gone, the kings have always been gone, covered by darkness. Because all the king cares about is, is his own wealth or his own glory. You know, that's the nature of kings. But there will be a change. This is why Judaism is ultimately an optimistic religion. We have a lot of pessimism in Judaism. I love the pessimism. That's my nature. But ultimately, because it's real, but ultimately, at the end of the day, whoever's left is optimistic. You understand? One day reason will kick in. You understand? I don't want to be cheap, but I'll be cheap. A person's, like, say, for example, you know, the anti-vaxxer or something like that. One day they'll hop. And I'll say, oh, now I see it differently. Okay? That's a cheap, but you know, it, 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 I think it's irrelevant. You understand? Uh, and here's Yashar talking about this Long ago See, And the Jewish people Will be overwhelmed <laughs> They'll say wow The nations of the world woke up We didn't do it It's obviously divinely inspired Halavai we did it But we didn't Theoretically the Jewish people Are supposed to be the light of the nations And live such exemplary lives That by definition People want to come and join them and be subservient even to them not to be slaves but to learn from them but what can I tell you it doesn't happen we never live up to our potential you know the the call is what it is and then one day the prophet says God will have to do the intervening okay and when it is the Jews who have not raised themselves to the Madrego to say of course we want people to join us because we live such exemplary lives They'll say, well, everybody's going to come to you. And they'll all gather to Israel, to 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 call Israel Your own sons will come from far away. That is so suggestive. He's talking about the nation of the world. But he's saying, your own sons will come from far away. As I mentioned the other day, is this possibly a reference to the ten lost tribes? Be going, but not really, you know, not by DNA, you know what I'm saying? Uh, or is this some other sort of metaphor? As the Rambam always says, we'll only know when we get there, we'll only know when we get there, but it'll be quite remarkable, right? right? Your sons and daughters will come from far away. Please say we're really Jewish now. If I were a rabbi, which I'm not speaking in that tone at the moment, giving a sermon. You say it like this. The kids are so turned off, a lot of them, from Yiddish because The parents are no good. We see this all the time all around us. Only when the rest of the nations of the world come and say, oh, you're Chashev, then your own children will say the same thing. <laughs> it's a little bit, uh, uh, there's truth to that also. But whatever. All is you from the heart. And when that happens, you will shine. Isn't that amazing? So he's using all kind of words, Nehora, <clears throat> you know, for light. <laughs> The language is so amazing. Upachad Your heart, which is not in the sense of cardio, but it says your heart will throb and swell with joy. That's Arya Kaplan's translation. You know what pachad means. Upachad Your heart, which means, which means your mind, will have a pachad, a terror, meaning a terror of seeing now the awesome possibilities. I mean, let's say this all happened tomorrow. It would be amazing, but it would also be, like, scary. Millions of people coming to you and say show us what to do. Because the whole world will change its attitude towards you. Now, I always say, there's a plus and a minus to this. The plus is at the end, there'll be happy ending. The minus is what the Prophet is saying is, there will be anti-Semitism until the Messianic era. You get it? Until this prophecy is fulfilled. And when I say the Messianic era, I ain't getting into the controversies of stage one, stage two, stage three, Rambam versus Ramban, you know, with the Shargamul, uh, putting all that aside. Whatever it is, whenever the happy ending is. But what it means is, until then, forget about it. <coughs> you just have to get used to the fact that you're going to live in a world in which their sin and But he wants to concentrate the prophet on, you know, the goodies. And he says, you'll have unbelievable uh, tourism, people coming in to bring stuff. Caravans of camels will cover you, meaning your industry and commerce will be amazing. Right? The camels of Midian and Eifah, those coming from the Queen of Sheba, they'll bring gold and frankincense. Zahav Levona. Right? Right? All the flocks of Cater will come to you. Listen, you lived twenty five hundred years ago, more more like twenty eight hundred years ago, something like that. That time the way you could describe what you and I today would say economic prosperity would be all the uh campbells in Arabia will show up. All the sheep and the Arabs had all will, will come to you. Uh, so no it be tremendous prosperity. And you will say, Me Elach of Toofeno, who are these who fly like the clouds? Meaning the Jews will just be astonished, right? And it goes on to say that the gun will rebuild Israel. The aliens will build your walls and kings will serve you. Now, as I said before, what does this mean? I'm sure they're Grubba Jungen. I've always said, like this Oh, we'll be the boss and everybody will will wipe our backs. You know, they'll uh, wash our clothes. Uh, you'll be like slave masters or something like that, and all the nations of the world serve you. That's not what it means. Second of all, what kind of a life is that? That's silly. The ultimate end is not the exploitation of mankind by a few. That's not what Yeshay was talking about. (laughs) People come and serve you in the sense of apprenticeship, of discipleship. I know I have a good friend in Shul. he's a cardiologist. A lot of times he's got people, you know, medical students, who want to they want to serve him. What does that mean? They want to serve as you know um, fellows and whatever the term is to learn from him the malach of cardiology. You do it with any kind of skill. If you wish, you do it with a, with, with, with with intellectuals, with Talmudic chacham and Jewish intellectuals, with great rabbanim, with Hasidic rabbis. Person who says person who comes to a great rabbi, I'm just making this up, is I want to serve you. Doesn't mean I want you to go and uh, you know treat me like a, you know, a field slave and uh, whip me and things like that. I want to serve you. I want to do shemush. You understand? Because I want to learn from you and follow your example and then take my knowledge that I have from my time of service to you and take it back to my family or my people or whoever and share this with them because then we'll all be better off. They'll all be better off. And so, uh, that's what he means. When he says, The gates will be open all the time. You won't turn anybody down. Right? And he says, And whoever doesn't do this, will perish. <laughs> what does that mean? Whoever doesn't do it, We'll be in the losing end of, of mankind. The smart nations will come and learn how to create a utopia. The dumb ones will then perish in their lack of utopia because they just fight each other until they wipe each other out. Um the way the world's looking, raise your hand if you really believe. Putting aside religion. The way things are going in the world right now. And this one's getting an A-bomb and then the, the Taliban, and this and that, and the other chemical weapons and the uh, nerve agents and the COVID and who the heck knows what. <laughs> who really thinks the world's going to be around in 50 years? Right? You understand? Now, a religious person might say, well, I follow the religious teachings and, you know, I have this angle. But say a secular person. You know, Obviously, you'll give your best shot to try to control things. <laughs> but more and more the great nations can't control anything. You understand? They can't control the Islamic terrorism or the other guys who are only going to get more sophisticated as the 21st century proceeds. It's not like the terrorist groups are giving up on science, as is the case with all fundamentalist extremists. They're willing to use the fruits of science even as they uh, negate and reject the value system of the culture to produce the technology that they're using. We all know that. So sooner or later, science by itself can't help It's the paradox of science can't help but create a situation in which it enables its own destruction. Sooner or later, somebody's going to come up with the right technology, but all you have to do is press a button and blow up the world. Whether physical blow up, whether COVID blow up, or some other thing like that, or whatever. You know, that's the the, the, the almost inexorable trend. I hate to say it. Unless you say you see God intervening. That's what Ishael was talking about. So you see this heavy stuff that he has in the Parsha. And he says, whoever will follow the the, the example of the Torah will survive and prosper and be brilliant in a brilliant light. Whoever doesn't, won't, and they will perish, because that's the general trend. How this plays out, I don't know. Right? How can you know? But he goes on and on about this. (laughs) The sons of your oppressors will come bending to you, and those who despise you will bow down at your feet. Yeah, because they'll realize we made a mistake. Um, I know it sounds cheap to do this, but I think you know some. This is just weird, but it's a fact that some of the grandchildren of the biggest Nazis have come to Israel in places like that, you know, and, and 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 try to help out. If I'm not mistaken, I think Goering or yeah, Goering and and even even um, Himmler or something like that had like grandchildren like worked on kibbutz, you know, something to that effect. If you look it up, I bet you it's online somewhere. Um, One of them became from, it's a whole story. Well, that's nothing but what you see right now. That's not a typical case. He's saying things like that will become very typical. All right? And, uh, There'll be no anti-Semitism. Instead of being abandoned and hated, people will treat you as, Again, wonderfully ambiguous phrase. The genius of the world, knows the Jews, the Old Testament, if you wish, the Talmud that we thought was stupid, was outdated. All the rest of it, you know, you know, (laughs) you know. Maybe it's got something there, right? It's got the secret, you know, to peace, the secret to to survival. And so, uh, this is, I say before, Isaiah on steroids. Okay. Again, there will be no more violence in Israel. It's great, it's terrible, as I said before. It's great that the day will come where there will be peace in Israel. It's terrible because until Mashiach time, it will not happen. Lo Ye'od Hamas per Israel. There won't be any Hamas. I'm sure in Israel, when they give a speech to us in Israel, you know, in Israel you say Hamas, right, instead of Hamas. So, lo, <laughs> I'm sure the rabbanim in Israel won't be able to resist saying to pusik but until then, there will be. So, the Prophet, and and, he, and, the, and the culmination of all this, of course, is that science will change. Okay? There will be a different form of light. He uses the words, there won't be the same sun and moon. I don't know if he means exactly that. I mean, I don't know. The reason I say, I don't know, is I don't know what physics and astronomy or be be like in the 22nd century, if we survived here, or the 23rd century. I'd like to think the Mashiach will come before them, but eh, who knows, right? Uh, But the language he uses sounds metaphorical, and he said they'll use a different source of light than the sun and the moon. I understand that to mean uh, the wisdom over here of the right religion, the wisdom of the right religion. And therefore, the sun and the moon will never set. So the idea, it's a very beautiful idea, of the sun rising and the sun falling, this idea of wisdom in the history of mankind. There are eras in which the human race proceeds forward, and then comes sunset. <laughs> then the human race goes backwards, you know, it gets dark again. Uh, we have seen, you know, when I was young, and maybe you, I'm not that old, but I'm not young, Many people believed after World War II, after all, it's only going to get better and better. The world's going to get better and better. Scientifically, it should be that way. has not turned out that way. Perversity has triumphed so much. Did you ever notice that the U.S., uh, back in the 60s, was going crazy putting men on the moon? But ever since then, they have a moon program. I know that. But the idea was, if you would ask somebody when I was a little kid, where will people be in 2020? Oh... We'll be in Jupiter and Venus, you know? Because that's how we're thinking. Forget it. All of a sudden, the country got bankrupt from the Vietnam, from the terrorism, from this, that, and the other, and a hundred other reasons. We ain't never getting out of this hole. I think the national debt is 30 trillion. (laughs) That is not going anywhere. How are you going to pay up 30 trillion? I don't know what that's going to be. And so, this impedes putting people on the Mars and the moon and just, you know, translate across all the sciences. And so, you've had the rise of the sun and then the fall. But Ishael tells us a time will come when the sun will not cease. Which means mankind will move forward and forward. Yes, if they will really follow the Torah. And by the Torah, I don't mean, you know, um, uh, what do you call it? So, uh, oh, Tom or you know again, I mean, the little rules, right? I mean, the lofty moral teachings of the Torah. Uh, if they'll do that, then the sun won't set, nor the moon. Because Hashem will be delight, but may have, be no more available. You can't get more idealistic than that. I just gave it to you in what I regard as the plain meaning. There are obviously other levels of meaning here, and a lot of the classic refraction will explain it a little bit differently. Because I think in Talmudic terms But standing as we do today In 2021, about to enter 2022 I'm sorry, Tavshin Pei Bays We ain't too so far away from 2022 anyway You know, at this stage Seems to me When someone in 21st century Second decade, 21st century Is looking at the properties of Yishayo, Especially the lofty ones It strikes me That these are the things a person should be thinking of now, I invite you, therefore, to look at this Haftar, this coming Shabbos. And if you wish to, of course, um, raise the following question at the table. Especially if you have little kids. If you could dictate your own utopia, if you had a perfect world, what would that world look like? Now, some kid might say like this. It's a world where I eat hot dogs all day. Another kid says, I get every, uh, what do you call toy or electronic gadget there is. All right, there's a little kid. And then you talk to the adults. So what what would the perfect world look like? It's it's very interesting what they would come up with. I don't expect them to be a shayaho, but it's very interesting how they would define a perfect world. Anyway, that's food for thought. I don't want to conclude once again by thanking the Pollux, Paul and Cassie, and uh, for sponsoring. I don't have a sponsor for next week. Not yet, anyway. So I hope that will resolve itself by next week. Um... Uh, But we do for this week. Thanks to the Pogs. And um, I still have a good feeling to go. I'm going to try, if possible, as I said before, to start this 10-minute business. And we'll see that plays out. Meanwhile, have a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at ww.dot